Guys, you know that these blue cards on your tables that can be found on your tables are to be used this month to nominate men for the office of elder. Um, you have until the 31st, and uh, there is no other uh, nominating committee but you. It is uh, you who nominate. It is you who elect the leaders of this church. So you got a month, um, and they're on your tables uh, tonight. And there's some more up here if you need them. It's always fun to be um, uh, with this group of rabble rousers, um, but um, historically, you're, um, you're a lot worse than a bunch of rabble rousers. Um, you're actually, um, you're guilty of uh, um, a 500-year protest, um, and that's why you're called a Protestant, um, because you are a protester. Uh, that's the derivation of the word. And so we have in this room not rabble-rousers. We have a bunch of protesters. You're a bunch of protesters against the excesses and abuses and theological errors of Rome. Um, and that's what Protestantism is, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what we're going to look at for two weeks and then one Sunday morning. Uh, tonight and on the 25th, uh, I'm going to try to give you kind of a historical overview of the, uh, of the Protestant Reformation. Um, this is a word that might um, be familiar to you, um, not because they're out in your backyard, but because it, uh, it's the name of a city in Germany. It's not called Worms, it's called Wurms, but that's where Martin Luther was tried before the Holy Roman Emperor, um, uh, Charles V, and uh, where he made his great statement, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. It was at Wurms. Well, in Wurms, uh, Germany, now, at this very day, there is, <laughs> it has been for years, but a, uh, Lu- a Martin Luther Memorial. It's the largest memorial um, to a Reformation event I- in all of Europe. Um, <clears throat> and, and I wish I could draw it. I, I, I can't, but um, it's, it's huge. It's, it it kind of goes like this, and there's this big thing in the middle, and there's somebody here, and there's something on every little corner um, Frederick the Wise is here, and you know this is there. But Luther is in the in the center. But on the four corners of of this plinth, on which Luther is at the top, are four men: um, Peter Waldo um, is a name that I don't know that you've heard before. Um, the name John Wycliffe you probably have heard of before, uh, Wycliffe translators, Bible translators, uh, uh, Johannes, uh, we're just going to call him John, John Huss uh, is on one of these, and um, the, the, the other one is, a, um, uh, it's Jerem something or other, uh, Savernola, I don't know, I've got that spelled right, um, they're all on these four uh, corners of this, um, this monument, this statue to Luther. Why? Why these four guys um, on the corners? Well, because um, they were really reformers before their time. Uh, they were reformers. They were, they were protest- uh, protesting against the Roman Catholic Church long before Luther showed up. Um, the, the earliest one is Peter Waldo. Um, uh, you never heard of the Waldensians, perhaps, but 
uh, it's interesting that the common thread in all these men had to do with the authority of the scriptures. Now, you know, one of the cardinal principles in the Reformation is sola scriptura. Well, all of these men insisted, for instance, Wycliffe wanted to translate the Bible in the language of the vernacular, um, that is, of the common people, and that got him in big trouble. Um, And then, of course, if you've ever been to Prague, uh, there's a big um, center in the center of the city, and over the corner of of this this square uh, in the center of the city is, um, I don't know that it's still called this, but it used to be called Bethlehem Chapel. Well, it's a Hussite church. I want to tell you more about John Huss in, in a minute or a little bit later. But there in this big square in Prague, Czech Republic, is a Hussite church. It's still open. Susie and I have been inside it. It was so cold in there uh, the day that we were in there, we had to leave. Um, it, there's no heat. There's no air conditioning in this building. But on that same square, just, just around the way, is a Roman Catholic cathedral. Well, John Huss, um, and then this last, Geronimo, that's not right. That's close. Savignola. Uh, He was a Florentine. He uh, did his work in Florence, Italy. John Huss was in uh, the Czech Republic. Um, Wackliffe was in in, uh, Oxford in England. And Peter Waldo was was French, I think. But the, um, the thing that, the reason that they got honored here is because they were reformers before Luther. They were insisting on um, uh, Savignola, uh, uh, rejected transubstantiation. I mean, they, they all had these attacks that they made on the Roman Catholic Church. And for their attacks, uh, these two were burned at the stake. These two died of natural causes, but interestingly, his body was exhumed in 14... Uh, uh, 1415, I think, 1415, and then was burned, <laughs> postumptuously. They honored him by burning his ashes, I guess. Um, but <clears throat> um, uh, Savignola really was around the, the time of Luther, around around 1500. Um, but these men were opposed to the same things that were that Luther, you know, who's in the center there, that Luther was opposed to. So Luther uh, didn't come along with new ideas. These men had been pleading for these ideas since the 13th century. Uh, Peter Waldo was in um, the, 12th, uh, the 13th century, 1200s. Um, John Huss was in the, I mean, he was burned at the stake at, in 1415. So uh, these men preceded Luther as pre reformers or forerunners of the Protestant Reformation. Now, let, let me tell you a little bit about this guy, John Huss. Um, in, in, uh, I mean, he was, he was a thorn in Rome's side and a, um, a uh, council was called in Erfurt, Germany in 1415. Erfurt, you may remember, was where Luther went to seminary. No, where Luther entered the the monastery, was in Erfurt. Well, in 1415, um, at the Council of Constance, the the archbishop at the time um, was a guy by the name of Johannes Zacharias. And at this council in 1415, uh, uh, two things were accomplished. 
Uh, number one, um, it was ordered that Wycliffe's body be exhumed and burned. <laughs> Just, that was the first thing that this council achieved, to exhume the, the remains of John Wycliffe and burn them. And he was excommunicated at this Council of Constance in 1415. The other thing that was uh, uh, accomplished is that John Huss was, was labeled a heretic. And he was taken out of the council and taken right outside the city gates and burned at the stake. John Huss. But John Huss um, made a statement that's very famous. And, and um, I've read a couple different versions of it. So um, uh, I'll, I'll get it essentially correct. But John Huss made a statement. He said, <clears throat> his name, Huss, uh, in, in uh, Czech means goose. And um, Huss said, before they burned him alive, you can burn this goose, but a hundred years from now, a swan will arise that you will not be able to silence. And they burned him at the stake at the direction of Johannes Zecharias, the archbishop in Erfurt, at that, in that area at that time. <clears throat> he was off by two years. Because 102 years later, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg. But here's the interesting part. Um, the, count, the Council of Constance took place in Erfurt, Germany. That's where, um, as I said, Martin Luther uh, entered the monastery, was in Erfurt, Germany. The archbishop, Johannes Zecharias, was buried under the floor, under an altar in the church, the monastery church in Erfurt. Are you with me? The, the archbishop, Johannes Zecharias, was buried in front of an altar in the cathedral church in Erfurt. When Martin Luther was ordained as a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, he lay prostrate either on the burial site of Johannes Zecharias or right in front of it. Now, do you remember what I said to a minute ago? When Huss was burned at the stake, he said, you can burn this goose, but 100 years from now, 100 years from now, a swan will arise who you will not be able to silence. And the one who ordered John Hoos's excommunication and, and uh, execution was the man buried right under the floor where Martin Luther was prostrate when he was ordained as a priest. He was off by two years. It was not 100 years, it was 102 years when the swan arose. And if, you, if you've ever read anything um, about Martin Luther or seen anything, you will often find... Um, emblazoned on the, in, in, the, in the pages or uh, chiseled into the, the stone, a swan, because it is widely believed that Huss accurately predicted that uh, Luther was the swan that arose uh, who could not be silenced. Now, that's a little bit of pre-Reformational history 
Um, these four men are, are honored, but just not quite to the same degree as is, as is Luther. Um, now, <clears throat> Luther was born on November the 10th of uh, 1483. And I always like to say this because it gives you just a little bit of historical um, um, reference. You know, um, we say uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. Well, Luther was born in 1483, so he was nine years old when Columbus, uh, when Columbus sailed. Um, he was born in Eisleben, Germany. I- interestingly, he died in uh, Eisleben, Germany. Um, his father uh, was a younger brother. His, brother. his older brother inherited the family farm, so his, um, Luther's father, Hans, uh, left home, left Eisleben, and um, um, moved to a, another area, um, uh, Mansfield, Germany, where he became a supervisor of mines. He, uh, by all accounts, was a fairly prosperous man, that is, Luther's father, but he was in mining. Um, he, Hans, the father, wanted his son not to have to experience the world of mines, and so he wanted him to be a, um, a lawyer. So um, Martin Luther entered law school at age 20 and excelled and was, um, was seen as a very bright young man at the time in his training. We'll talk about it in a minute, uh, more about that in a minute. But, um, but in, uh, on July the 2nd, our anniversary, dear, uh, on July the 2nd of 1505, um, Martin Luther had gone home to, um, to uh, see his family in Mansfield, Germany, was on his way back, and he got caught in a thunderstorm. And um, lightning struck so close to him that it knocked him to the ground, and that's called the, the lightning bolt that changed the world. Um, uh, knocked Luther to the ground. By the way, this is your history, ladies and gentlemen. You are, you are fruit of, uh, you are a p- piece of Protestant fruit. So, this was, this was going on <clears throat> in 1505, 500 years ago, um, that explains our, bat- our, our, our heritage. So, 1505, July the 2nd, uh, the, the lightning bolt strikes, knocks him to the ground, and Luther cries out, Help me, St. Anne, and I will become a monk. St. Anne was considered, or Anne was considered, or was thought to be the mother of Mary, but she was the patron saint of minors. Um, so he cries out to the patron saint of minors, uh, the mother of Mary, and says, help me, St. Anne, and I will become a monk. Um, he survived. God kept his end of the bargain, and Luther kept his. And Luther entered, um, um, uh, th- that day, went to law school, Got his books. Um, uh, well, no, that's not true. Uh, he, he, he made the decision to go in the, uh, into the monastery, but within two weeks had emptied his room out, had a party, said goodbye to his friends, and knocked on the door at the monastery in Erfurt, Germany. He knocked on the door, and the priest inside um, uh, asked him, what, what do you seek? And um, Luther's reply was, God's grace and your mercy. And so against his father's wishes in 1505, 
Um, at the age of 22, Luther entered um, an Augustinian monastery, thinking that the, the one sure way to assure uh, myself that I would enter heaven was, was monkery, by being a monk. Um, Luther suffered from a, a view of God, a malevolent God who was um, highly unpredictable and was easily affronted. And so he saw that lightning bolt as God's um, anger at him. And so his, um, his motive for the monastery was to try and find a way to, to appease this God that he thought was so angry at him. And the way that he thought that that would happen is by being a monk. Now, guys, <clears throat> um, one of the heroes uh, of the, the Protestant Reformation is a guy by the name of John Calvin, one of my heroes. Um, John Calvin did things in Geneva, Switzerland that, was, um, that were legendary. It, it, it's called a Christian Republic. Uh, he, he sought to take over everything in, uh, in Geneva. Well, Geneva was one of the centers of the Reformation, is all I'm saying. In Geneva today, Susie and I have been there. Susie didn't particularly appreciate it. She had just gotten out of the hospital with that, uh, that elbow thing. But um, uh, we were in Geneva. In fact, I spoke in Geneva um, to this little bitty small church of uh, uh, Filipinos. It was just, it was really an interesting thing. But anyway, um, in Geneva, there is a place called Reformation Park. Um, it's a really a pretty place. But the centerpiece of Reformation Park is this wall. Um, and it's called Reformation Wall. And, and um, on this wall are busts. Oh, they're not busts. They're statues. And the statues are huge, 15 feet, maybe 20 feet. I don't know. They're, they're big. But of all of the, um, of all of the, the Reformation heroes, uh, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Bootser, um, Melanchthon, all these, all these Reformational figures are in this park in statues on the Reformation wall. Um, I tell you this because uh, inscribed on this wall, which is the motto, I guess you'd call it, or whatever, I don't know what you'd call this, but inscribed on the wall are these words. Post, um, that's an E, tenebras, Luke's. Post tenebras Luke's is on the wall. That's Latin. <laughs> and some of you could probably translate that. Uh, you know what post is. After darkness. Light. Post tenebras Luke's. After darkness. I bring that up here because when Luther entered the, the, the monastery in, in Erfurt, Luther was, was under the impression that the way that any, a man can get right with God is through what is called uh, sacerdotalism. Um, 
Sacerdotalism is simply that, um, that a man is saved through the ministrations of the church, primarily the sacraments. Now, if you know anything about Roman Catholicism today, you know... Let me, let me do this just real quick, because we might come back to this. Ladies and gentlemen, now, you better be careful, because you're going to miss this. <laughs> what is the instrumental cause of justification, according to Reformational theology? The instrumental cause of justification. Now, be careful. There's a whole... Um, uh, school of thought headed up by Aristotle on causation. Um, what is the instrumental cause? And, and I'm telling you, um, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you because I'm afraid I'd embarrass you. But Protestantism says that the instrumental cause of justification is faith. Faith is the instrumental cause of justification. Now, what does Rome say is the instrumental cause of justification? <laughs> you don't know this, but I dare you to go check it out. In Rome, in Roman Catholicism, the instrumental cause of justification is baptism. I tell you that because it illustrates what I mean by sacerdotalism. Luther entered a monastery believing that the way that a man gets right with God is through sacerdotalism. That is, that he's going to be saved through the ministrations of the church, primarily the sacraments. In Rome's position then, and Rome's position today, ladies and gentlemen, it's still the same, that the instrumental cause of justification is baptism. Those are two views that are incompatible um, and all of the efforts that you've seen <coughs> oh, in the last 25 years to try and, and, and bring Protestantism back to Mother Rome, nothing will be able to change the fact that we have a fundamental difference when it comes to the answering of the question, how does a man get right with God? How is a man saved? And it certainly ain't like this. But, but, but what, the, what the reformational wall is saying, post-Tenebras Luke's, what was the darkness? The darkness was this stuff. And through the Reformation, light. That is just, that is just thrilling to me. Um... Um, um, okay, let, let, me do, let me do one other thing, and then I think we'll, 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 we'll have enough. Um, <clears throat> um, guys, th- many have asked this question. Why is it that these guys did not succeed and ended up being burned on the stake, at least these two? And Luther ended up succeeding. What was, what was the difference? Well, there have been several suggestions um, as to um, um, how Luther succeeded and the others didn't. The first suggestion is, of course, Frederick the Wise. 
Uh, we'll talk about Frederick the Wise. He's the one that um, kidnaps Luther after Worms takes him to the, um, the castle at Wartburg. <laughs> but he was an elector, the elector of Saxony, and which meant that he had a vote in choosing the Holy Roman Empire, or Holy Roman Emperor. And so Frederick the Wise really liked Luther and, and uh, hired Luther and brought him um, to Wittenberg. But Frederick the Wise is the one that protected him. And many say that's, that's one of the reasons. Another suggestion has been, well, um, the, the printing press. The printing press, Gutenberg's printing press, um, was developed in the 1440s. But by 1500, it, 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 uh, there was a printing press every place in Europe. And so that Luther, I mean, these men didn't have access to that. And Luther did. Actually, Luther didn't want it, but was... <laughs> Uh, his disciples used the printing press to publish his 95 Theses, which really got him in such big trouble. Um, but some have suggested that. The other, another suggestion has been uh, his training as a lawyer. That he was um, a, a, a master of Latin. And um, so when it came to debate and dialogue, which he didn't get much of, which, by the way, uh, I hope you know, the 95 Theses when posted were never intended to split the church. They were intended to, to create an audience, I mean, a, a debate over the excesses of, the, of indulgences, which we'll talk about the next time. Um, but some have said, well, the reason that he succeeded is because he was such a skilled debater and uh, so highly trained in law and in the Latin language of which um, I think you know the Roman Catholic Bible was written it's called the Vulgate, and it was written in Latin, and he knew Latin. But folks, um, those are all interesting observations, and I, I think they're probably, they probably contri- contributed. Um, but I, but I want to point this out to you. Um, you don't need to turn, but this is, this is uh, one of the statements that, that Paul makes in, um, in Galatians chapter 4. He says this, he's talking about Jesus is coming, and he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Ladies and gentlemen, God always does things in the fullness of time. Um, at, the, at the right moment in human history, when, when God's providential oversight of the events in the world and uh, has directed and prepared peoples and nations for what he's up to, then he moves. So, so all I'm suggesting is that whereas these things are interesting and they're, they're good, they're interesting suggestions, I want to I observe that the reason that these men did not succeed, in, or at least with bringing, apart, bringing about this division, and Luther did, was because of the fullness of time. That God always does things in the fullness of time. And the fullness of time wasn't then, but it was... In 1517. Now, um, real quickly, um, he enters the monastery in 1505. Uh, he is ordained in 1507. I told you this a couple of, oh, several weeks ago at, in a communion service, but uh, we won't go over it again. Uh, he's ordained in May of 50, uh, no, in April of uh, 1507. Um, he is supposed to perform his first mass in which uh, these common elements of bread and wine, that's, that's one of the things that you got in ordination. If you were an ordained priest, you got this miraculous power 
to turn bread and grape juice or bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. Um, a, a privilege denied to angels, <laughs> um, but priests had it, um, which is remarkable to me. But, but anyway, that's what transubstantiation is. Anyway, so his, his first mass was celebrated in 1507, about two months after he was ordained, and the reason for the, the, the delay was that his father, Hans, wanted to attend and bring some friends. His father uh, did arrive on that day, uh, made a contribution to the monastery, uh, a sizable contribution to the monastery, and then Luther um, went about performing his first Mass. And as you know, um, he comes to the part where uh, he is, it's called the, the, uh, the consecration prayer, where the elements are turned into uh, the body and blood of Christ. And uh, basically, Luther fainted. <laughs> that's not the word that's used. But he, he, he froze. He couldn't go on. Uh, I told you earlier that he, has this, he had this view of, of God, um, that he was a malevolent deity, and that if he made any slight mistake, that there would be another lightning bolt. And this time, the lightning bolt would not miss. Um, and so he froze. He could not go on and had to have an older priest step in for him and finish. And to the absolute chagrin and embarrassment of his father, his father didn't want him there in the first place, but now he's got friends there to see his boy be a priest and his boy uh, collapses um, in 1507. And that um, uh, was a, well, not a turning point, but it was a... Um, a further deepening of his dread of God. He called it shucked and fruit. Um, that he was, all of the, the, the fear and the panic of the soul overtook him and he couldn't go on. Now, one of the things, since we've got four minutes, um, uh, Luther was known as a nuisance in the monastery. He was a nuisance in the monastery because of confession. Now, guys, um, um, he would go to the confessional and um, uh, confess to the, um, the, the confessor. And, you know, most of the students in the monastery would go and they would stay a few minutes and, you know, Father, I have sinned. Well, all right, well, you do this. And, and they're out the door. Luther would stay for hours um, confessing everything that he could remember. And then... Um, he would leave the, the confessional, go back to his room and remember something else and come back to the confessional to confess some more. The, um, the head of this, the, the uh, monastery was a guy by the name of Von Stoppitz. And Von Stoppitz saw him as an overzealous monk that had to be, uh, had to be helped. And so his... Uh, and by the way, but could I... <laughs> the, the, um, the notion of confessing one's sin to someone else it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Oh, that evangelicalism had a confessional. In fact, um, um, we're even exhorted to confess our sins to one another. Um, but we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We don't want anybody to know that we've got real brokenness inside. And so we, you know, I, 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 all right. The confessional is a good thing. I would say to you, even absolution 
where the priest would say, okay, my son, you're forgiven of your sin. Evangelicalism has a version of absolution ourselves. When people confess sins to us, and when, when they confess sins to me, I take them to 1 John 1, and I say, um, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at that promise. Take advantage of that promise. There is a sense of which uh, we, we take them to the promise so that they can be absolved of their sin. That's not the problem that Protestantism has with the confessional. The problem is not with confessing sin. The problem is not with even absolving sin. The problem is in what happens next. Because what do I do about my sin now? In Rome? A penance. I can't see what I'm writing. It's through another sacrament. In Rome, in Roman Catholicism, penance is a sacrament. You remember we said, after, lark, after darkness, light? And so the way, well, the way you get right with God is through the sacraments. The instrumental cause is baptism. And once I sin, the way that I get back is by doing penance. Ladies and gentlemen, even the words are offensive. Okay, my son, go concerning your sin. Do penance. You know what penance included? Um, Hail Marys. You ever seen somebody with beads in their hands? Going through those beads? You know what they're doing? They're sucking away a little bit of merit. Paternosters, our fathers. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I was downtown uh, walking in front of the, the abortion clinic thing, Planned Parenthood, and there were some men down there who were Roman Catholics who were, um, who were co-belligerents in this fight against abortion. But I walked and prayed. They walked and looked at pictures of Mary and went through beads and said the same thing. I, I don't know whether it was a Paternoster or a Hail Mary. Over and over and over again. Um, so, th there's no problem with the confession or the confessional. There's not even a problem with absolution because we have our own version of evangelicalism. The problem is, what do we do about our sin now? We go correct it through the sacrament of penance, which involves Hail Mary's, Paternosters, uh, oh, oh, almsgiving. You know what that is? That's writing a check. A little money here can solve a lot of problems. Now, gang, that's sacerdotalism. Um, I get started by one of the sacraments, and I continue by another one of the sacraments. I am saved through the ministrations of the church, primarily sacraments. And so the next time you go to Geneva, and you stand in Reformation Park, 
and you see post tenebras. Luke's. Then at least you'll know what the tenebras is. It's darkness. It's damning, hellish darkness. And as a result of God raising up some men like Luther, primarily Luther, the Reformation offered light, of which you are fruit, of which we are fruit. I'm out of time. We'll, um, we'll pick up at um, uh, Von Stoppitz's <laughs> solution to, to deal with his um, overzealous monk. And in 1510... <laughs> He sends him on the pilgrimage to Rome, which made things far worse. But we'll get to that. Next time we're together, we'll start at 1510. Let's, let's real quick. Our Father, um, would, you, would you show us the light? If it's not here, oh God, take these people to where they can get it. Put them in the place where they can see the glorious light of the gospel, hidden for centuries under this darkness called sacerdotalism. Might we um, find ourselves as greater proponents of and lovers of the great message of salvation by grace alone, by Christ alone, through faith alone. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. See you in a couple of weeks.